Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Uh, Glenn, what are your takeaways from game six? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> they, they, they need a trade scoring punch and he just physically didn't have it to give, I think is like the, the big theme of the game. You could tell he was giving... Uh, I think you could tell he's giving it everything he had, but he just couldn't generate, you know, any of his sort of uh, movements he uses to set himself up to score. Uh, he tried to function as a passer to ball handler, and he did fine in, in those areas. But with um, some of the shooting struggles uh, the rest of the team had, this is one where you, if you think back to the first and second round series, this is one where you, you could see that he would normally try to kind of take that scoring workload on himself. He just didn't physically have that to go tonight. Yeah, really all game long. It, the, Hawks, <clears throat> the Hawks just didn't have any way to collapse Milwaukee's defense to get them to, you know, move. Because Trey, you know, was dinged up. It really just isn't the bench's thing to begin with, period. And, you know, Lou, Lou wasn't wasn't doing that sort of thing for them tonight. And Bogdan couldn't even do that in a secondary role. He said something after the game, like he couldn't drive to his right, you know, since the middle of the Philadelphia series when he got hurt. So you could see in the second quarter, it's like, well, you know, the Hawks treaded water as, as best they could. But, you know, just in terms of the quality of shots, uh, Milwaukee was getting great looks in the second quarter. And the Hawks were just kind of, getting it over half court and putting up shots, you know, it didn't really feel like they were doing a whole lot on offense at all. And, uh, you know, they were sort of lucky to be down just four at halftime. Yeah. It, it was surprising. I, I was trying to kind of find the descriptor for how the first half looked during the halftime. And I was like, this feels like a, a, a March Madness game, like a two versus 15, where <laughs> the two seed is kind of playing down to the level of the 15 seed. And I'm not disrespecting the Hawks. It's just what the Hawks had to give tonight with Trey yeah. so limited. Right. Um, and then just, you know, still missing Hunter. And, uh, you know, we haven't hit on it yet, but I thought, the and I think you mentioned this earlier, either on Twitter or somewhere else, that the workload herders had this whole postseason seemed to finally catch up with him the last game and a half. Or I think we, games. I think we said it on the last podcast talking about yeah. Cam because we were talking yeah. about Cam and it's like you know it's it's good to have a primary wing stopper for whatever yeah. minutes you can have him because it, it was it's been kind of unfair to put that on Kevin as much as it's been on him. Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't make a shot, and he just looked to me like a guy whose legs weren't there, and 
you know, yeah, you, you have to know he certainly wanted to make the shots he was putting up, and and he was trying to initiate what shot quality he could himself. And that was just kind of representative of the broader team. I, I think um, I'm preparing to write about this game, so if I, I don't have my notes right in front of me. But I think Cam was six for seven. Yeah, it was like all and of a sudden the they rest of the <laughs> yeah the rest and of the team was. the rest of the team made six, so he had <laughs> half of their makes. And uh, the, the rest of the team, I think, was six for 25. So, that, yeah, that's Trey not having you know, his footing and I think the strength um, to have a shooting base that he, he relies upon. And, he, and even in the fourth quarter, I, you know, when he took a couple of shots that, as I'm watching, when you have the um, benefit of aesthetic distance, you're like, what are you doing, Trey? But I think we have to remind ourselves that, he's used to putting the team on his back in moments where there's just nothing happening. There's nothing, you know, being generated that even, you know, though he was oh for, you know, the three point line, the whole game, we put up a couple of shots late was hoping to maybe kind of find some magic um, and stuff. But yeah, it's just, I thought the defense was kind of up and down in the game. There were some stretches where they were really good from an activity standpoint and, and execution standpoint, there, there were other points where the point of attack defense was still problematic and it caused just general breakdowns, you know, uh, in the half court. Uh, and so I thought the defense was up and down and just the shooting was just never there except, you know, a, a few shots that Bogdan was able to get to go down. And then, you know, Cam's shots, the Bucks weren't even challenging him. I mean, I don't think they viewed him as a – a threat to really kind of prioritize, you know, defensively right. and such. But uh, so just up and down defense, n- not enough shot making, not enough shot creation. And somehow they still got it to six with 341 left. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure how they did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they were, you know, doing what they could. They, the fourth quarter defense was pretty good. What, what did you think about, uh, what precipitated Middleton's third quarter? I just think he got hot. I, th- I think yeah. there's some variance to him as a shooter, like like, like all shooters, but it's just a sure. little bit more – there's bigger swings with him. But he had – I think he had 20 in the fourth quarter of game five, if I recall correctly. He had 23 in the third quarter yeah. tonight. And that's when the Bucks obviously – it was about a four-point game at halftime – and then after the first Bucks possession in the fourth quarter, it was a 22-point game. And, and most of that 44 points the Bucks put up in the third quarter was Middleton. So, I mean, I when he got going, Cam wasn't on the floor. And, and you might ask yourself, hindsight being 2020, you're like, would that have made a difference? Well, you know, we'll never know, you know. <laughs> but, but, again, I don't think it was like he was you know, dusting his defender at any given point in time. He's just very – um, he reminds me when he's going a little bit of Kawhi in that um, he's very measured and very precise in everything that he's doing, even if he never looks kind of dynamic as a ball handler and, you know, as a, as a guy kind of using a crossover or, you know, a kind of a sick step back or whatever. It's just all precision. And to his credit, when he starts making shots, he gets super, super aggressive. And and that helped his team uh, both in Game Five and in this game. Do you think that the 
Hawks made any significant adjustments from game five to game six? Well, well, I mean, Brooke Lopez wasn't feasting at the rim as much. Um, And then, so I thought there was better attention to detail uh, in basically just kind of keeping cutters uh, off of the rim. I mean, they, the cutters scored felt like all night long in game five. And, you know, and that was, I put out on Twitter that in my mind, defending cutter starts the good point of attack defense because once the point of attack breaks down, then all of the back line and help defenders get task saturated with thinking about helping on the ball handler, plus keeping track of the guy on the backside. Um, so I just thought that their point of attack was better, not the whole game, but on the whole was better. And that made them more stable on the back line. And so the, the, the cutting, and the lob, the Brook Lopez lob threats were a lot better. I think the Bucks had 40 points in the paint, which is normally not, you know, some massive win to give up 40 points to the paint and to the opponent. But that's a the way this series had gone, and the way the Bucks had thrived offensively. The Hawks limiting them to 40 points in the paint was quite good. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I just thought they were just more sound, um, more kind of proactive. They were loading to the ball a little bit more uh, cleanly and consistently. So I didn't, I didn't see like an X's and O's schematic thing. I thought it was just better execution it, for most of the game. They had some structures where it was, it was an issue. Um, but I mean, Drew and Middleton had to work for the shots that they got. It wasn't like that. They, you know, it, I don't think it much came easily to them. Yeah, they just they just made shots. Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, with Holiday, it just felt like. He was making shots that he hadn't necessarily made, you know, really all playoffs long. Right. You know, at times he's made them, but he certainly felt like he was hotter tonight than at any point uh, in yeah. this series. Yeah, I mean, and good for him. I mean, I, I think a lot of people had joked about him being Eric Bledsoe 2.0 for the Bucks earlier in this playoffs, but I mean, I'm happy nope. for him. I'm a, I'm a pretty big, <laughs> I'm a pretty big Drew fan, you know. But so I'm happy for him that he these last two games. Maybe it took Giannis going down for him to feel like he can kind of step up and be a little bit more aggressive with the ball. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to know for sure, but I'm happy to see him individually, you know, kind of get a breakthrough. But I mean, a lot of his shots, even on drives, were leaning, and you know, there was a you know a shot blocker in front of him or a shot contester in front of him, and he had to kind of work around. And it wasn't like he was getting like easy uncontested shots at the rim, or you know, or anything like that. They just they just made more shots than the Hawks did. Yeah, Giannis going out actually made offense a lot easier for the Bucks. The flow was better. Yeah, I mean, it was better. Clearly, uh, you know, it hurts him defensively. Like, I think if you put Giannis in this game with the Hawks struggling on offense as much as they were, it could have gotten really ugly. <laughs> Very. But, but, you know, Giannis not being there, you know, made life easier for Middleton. It made life easier for Holiday. It made life easier for. Brooke Lopez in game five. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, do, you, do you have a gut feeling on the finals? I, I think the Suns are the better team. And I, I think that they have um, – I think they look a little bit like what Hawks fans hope the Hawks would look like, like if Hunter and Redis were both fully healthy in terms of kind of defensive wing presence. You know, McCall Bridges is really good. And even Cam Johnson, you know, less heralded as a defender. 
coming out of North Carolina, but he's he's quite good as well. And um, you know, Jay Crowder does awesome defensive work, kind of in that hybrid forward role. So I just think they have a, a lot m- more depth and um, a lot and and a, a more volume of bodies to throw in there. Like the Hawks <laughs> wish they would have if they were fully healthy. Right. Um, and then I think about. You know, Drew was just a beast in this game defensively. I mean, I remember I looked at the stat sheet. I think it said four steals and two blocks. And I was like, I didn't double check. Was like, you know, you know how in the Not game more, I was yeah. like, yeah. I was like, am I looking at one quarter? You know, is this the whole game? <laughs> they had to be more than that, you know. Right. But he was just like, it went for for a good three or four possessions. Bogdanovich was kind of afraid to dribble the ball around him because he was just kind of picking everybody's pocket and. And clearly, Bogdanovich, now we know, wasn't, um, wasn't moving, you know, as, as well as if he were fully healthy. But, um, you know, but I think about Drew trying to make that impact against a team that has Chris Paul, you know. And I'm, you know, Trey was hurt in this game, and that was one of the reasons why Drew, I think, was able to really focus on Carter and Bogdanovich, you know, um, in terms of, you know, ball security and the impact he had there. But I – I just think Drew's going to have a harder time making his impact. I think Middleton's going to see, you know, you know, bigger bodies at him. And even if Giannis plays, I would pick the Suns um, just because I think they have more versatility. I think they have more ball handling, more shot creation. Um, uh, you know, we'll see. It. To, to me, it'll come down to whether Aiton can kind of hold up a, the Bucks throw a lot at you on the, on their own offensive interior or defensive interior. And, you know, Aiton will be kind of a, I think a pretty big X factor there, but I, I think the Suns win that series. What about you? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if Giannis comes back and he's not a hundred percent, I think that poses some problems for the Bucks. You know, especially on, like we just said on the offensive end, I think it could get kind of ugly. Uh, but I like the Suns. Uh, I really like the way – I like the balance in the pieces that they have. They're really versatile. Uh, you know, there's not, there's not really a style of play I think they can exploit what they do. Um, so I think it's probably something like a, a Suns and Seven scenario. Yeah, it's, from an X's and O's standpoint, um, this could be fascinating because we know – uh, as having watched this series, especially from the Hawks side, that Lopez you know, drops, you know, in his defensive coverage and is really right. hesitant to come out. Even, you know, when Gallo played a lot of the fourth quarter, as he always does when the Hawks are playing from behind, you know, they'll pull Capella off and mm-hmm. put Gallo on just with extra shooting. You know, Lopez still pretty much stayed down there. The the runs around the, the – sorry, the Suns around this kind of uh, – gut screen action where like Booker will start out right under the rim and he'll use a screen at the nail and kind of lift up to the top of the key. Right. And the, the whole idea there, it's a little bit like Spain action, except it's not pick and yeah. roll. It's, right. you know, um, and he'll lift through there. And it's just going to be interesting. To, I mean, the Suns ran that a ton against the Clippers, especially when they had their smaller lineups with like Morris or Batum. Mm-hmm. At the five, it's going to be fascinating to see if this to me if the Suns can generate that because that's probably Booker's favorite action for him to kind of get the ball where he likes to have it. So, I mean, there, I think the Suns win, but I am super intrigued from an X's and O's standpoint to kind of see 
what each team tries to do with one another, especially considering the defensive schemes that they, they each put, put on the floor. What what did you see from from Trey in terms of uh, <laughs> you know trying to fight through injury and you know trying to make it work on the defensive end? Yeah, I mean, I thought he gave really good effort defensively. You know, yeah. considering the limitation that I was just working back through, I haven't rewatched all of it, but I got through about the first quarter and a half and. There were a few times he was really in a stance and moving and trying to keep the contain the ball and, and that which was more than I expected. I don't think I caught all of that live the first time. Um, but offensively, those really ugly passes early, you know, right. to, to uh, where the passing lane was obviously not there. Um, and then uh, he had one turnover where he was trying to kind of create a, I think, free throws where he had a defender right on him at the point of the ball screen. It just didn't work out at all. I mean, you could just tell he was. To me, he he looked like a guy that was hurting, and he was having a hard time kind of clearing, pushing the paint out of his head, and focusing completely on his own execution and attacking the way he normally does. He was really he looked rusty to me. Uh, as the game went on, he cleaned up a ton of that, but it it was pretty rough early on. And then to me, it looked like at some point, pretty quickly too, he also realized that he just didn't have that. That kind of explosiveness that he has to set guys up with crossovers and step backs and you know, dribbling past defenders and things like that. I think the one layup he made in the first half, he really got hit hard, and I think that discouraged him quite a bit from kind of going back in there too often. And the second half, he started getting back in there a little bit, but he had pretty clear clear lanes there. If I had to guess, I would say he was what fifty percent. Something, something like that. There was a lot of his tools that he just couldn't, couldn't use in this game, in my view. Yeah, that play where he got hit—that was like double bullshit on the same play. Right. <laughs> that was the one where PJ undercut John. Yeah. <laughs> PJ undercut John and Bobby Portis rotated. I put rotate in quotes right. because he had no, just literally zero hope of making any legitimate play on the ball. He just wanted to hit Trey. He wanted to hit Trey. And, and, and literally none of us are shocked, Kevin. None, none of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that wasn't a great play. Yeah. That was, that was frustrating to watch for me. It, it, it was kind of disappointing that, you know, after a really good season and, a, you know, some, some memorable, memorable spots in the postseason, the Hawks really didn't get anything from Lou Williams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I made it pretty clear in game five. I put, you know, I, I could have put 20 plays where I was frustrated by the officiating. And I, I just don't want to, I rarely put anything like that out, but there were a few, I just had to kind of, you know, bring attention to because I was voicing frustration during the game. So after the game, I was like, let me put a couple out just so people could see what I was seeing. The officiating didn't cost them this game. It, 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 not even close. I mean, the bucks were just better. That Trey couldn't give the Hawks offensively what they needed from him. I don't. I don't even want to talk as if the Bucks don't deserve this. They totally deserve this. They've worked their butts off the last few years. They run into failure, so you know they sh- accomplishment. You know all of the praise that they deserve. 
you know, I still am frustrated by how much Brooke Lopez sits in the paint and grabs Clint Capella when he's trying to you know, defend a shot at the rim. I'm still frustrated by how many times I saw P.J. Tucker undercut, you know, guys who are jumping for rebounds, um, you know, and, and things like that. I was frustrated by Middleton's flopping even in, in, in this game. Now, all teams do a certain amount of that, so I don't want to make sure. it sound like the, the Hawks don't do any of that stuff. But it, that dynamic just made it a little bit harder for me to enjoy the basketball like I normally do. I didn't quite understand in some cases like why the officiating was going like it was, why certain people get away with it. But, you know, but especially like after the Bucks clinch, I just don't want to go on Twitter and talk about the officiating much because it's, I think it, it, it would lead one to believe that I'm trying to detract from what the Bucks accomplished. And that is not my intent at all. They, they, they're the Eastern Conference champions. They're going to the finals. They deserve all of the accolades and stuff that come with that. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't frustrated by some of the watchability of this series in these areas. Oh, for sure. I mean, the Bucks are, you know, they're a higher seed. They're super talented, even without Giannis. And, you know, they're, they're clearly the healthier team at this point. I know the Bucks are also without DiVincenzo, but you know, with Bogdanovich, you know, kind of doing what he could and Trey doing what he could, uh, both being really limited and then no Hunter, you know, the, the disadvantage was, was bigger for the Hawks. So, you know, the Bucks should win. They executed. Middleton was, you know, he was just fantastic. Like, you're going to tip your tap, cap to somebody, you tip it to Chris Middleton. Like, he did the thing. Like, that was great. Like, <laughs> you know, even – you know, when the Hawks got it to six, man, they the Bucks just ran their offense, got it to Middleton, got it to Holiday, and got good looks and made them. And it was just, it was, it was impressive uh, what they did. They, they, the Hawks fall like heck to get back into it, but the, the Bucks had an answer. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a comedy of errors. They, they literally took it back. They were like, nope, we're, we're going to make our play here, and then they did. Uh, so the Bucks are great, but yeah. I mean, I'm used to it by now. Like, you know, the, the example I always use with Corver, like, you know, you get one whistle if you make plays on the ball and you get another if you make them off. And, you know, Corver was an off-the-ball player. And, you know, when push came to shove, if somebody really, really, really wanted to stop Corver, you just beat the crap out of him. You know, you just clutch and grab and hold and pull his jersey. And, and teams can get away with that, especially in the postseason. They, right. you know, there are enough whistles. They don't want the game to grind to a complete halt, so they're going to call the on-ball stuff. And the, anything that's away from the ball is is going to be kind of fair game. But uh, you just want enough that it's balanced, and you want enough that uh, you know nobody gets hurt. That's why the, the PJ Tucker one's kind of scary because Collins could have lost his shit on that one. Um, yep. But yeah, but like, um, <laughs> but I mean, I recall. I mean, I also want to make sure that I point out that. You know, the Bucks are sort of built for physicality. I mean, like, Drew was super strong guard, especially defensively. Yeah. And, like, I, I remember one play where J.C. had him in the post and Drew had his left arm in J.C.'s back, which is allowed. You're allowed one arm or one right. hand, not, not both, right? Yep. Yep. But what but what he was getting away with that I think everyone gets away with in the postseason, especially in the conference finals, is – he would push into JC and displace JC from his spot, and JC would yes. take a half step. Oh, back. absolutely! Yeah. yeah. In the regular season, I mean, if you go onto the like, if you go look at the NBA official rule book and the video examples right. they have, that's a foul. 
Yeah, like, you can maintain your leverage, but you can't go forward. But that's that's what they do. Right. But yeah. in the conf- in the conference finals, this is how it's called all the time. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. you just get away with things like that. And so, you know, I often talk about, and I think we, you and I talked about this being a repetition and a feedback loop for the Hawks. The, the Hawks need to learn. This core group needs to learn exactly. that, oh, that's how this goes. So we've got to be prepared for that next time. Yeah. And whether that's bringing our own physicality or, you know, adjusting your technique or what have you to account for all that, you know, pushing and such that you get. And so it's it's not like it's like all on the NBA to go fix all of this stuff. This is how the no, game is played. It's going to be just like this next year. Exactly. If, if, they make, if they make the conference finals again next year, whoever they play against, it's going to be – this intense and this physical. And so they have to kind of go away and, and, and use this opportunity to kind of reflect and process, Oh, this is what that's like. So, you know, it's, it's on, it's mostly on them to uh, use this feedback loop and, and find a way to kind of come back that much more prepared the next time they might get to this point. It's, it's, it's like, you, you like Brandon Goodwin, right? Glenn? Like who? You like Brandon Goodwin? Oh yeah, I'm the I'm the like chairman of the fan club. I think. What did he tweet? I'm I'm gonna get this. I'm I'm paraphrasing at this point, but it's it's like the thing he tweets where he says, you know, stop crying about it, figure it out, make it work. Nobody gives a damn, and that's yes. like his whole tweet. That yeah. that's what the Hawks have to do. They have to like you know exactly. they got to figure out. Okay, we we've been through this. We saw what happened. We're gonna go through it on film. And, you know, when you go through the film, watch what happens off the ball versus what happens on the ball. And, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I think the one thing that you got to figure out a little bit if you're the Hawks is, you know, how do you make John Collins work? Because I think it just, that's, you know, that's the one thing where it's just going to be so hard. You know, if that's legal, if, if the sort of style that we see is legal, you know, you're going to guard in the six, four guys and just play, uh, you know, just just grapple and poke and, you know, do your work early. You know, you can get away with two-hand shoves if, if the camera hasn't gotten there yet. So, right. you know, I, I guess maybe he just has to get a little bit heavier or he has to figure out a counter that, that's not a post move. You know, it, as, against more, most defenses, there, there are things he can do. I just worry about, like, the switching defenses, uh, you know. Right. When, when, you know, he ends up on the 6'4 guy in the post, you know, what's going to be his counter if they can do whatever they want? Right. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, there's a few things there. One is I think if John wants to operate mostly in the 10 to 12 foot kind of range, he's, I think the learning point is that you've got to catch the ball at eight feet if you want to shoot from 12 because <laughs> right. you're going to get pushed out a little bit. It's hard to and get it, it at eight it, feet though. It is, but you got to fight, you know, for yeah. that space, you know, um, and, and so, like, in the regular season, you catch it at 12, you shoot it at 12. He has, on the right side, he has that ridiculously fast inside pivot that he shoots, you know, from. And it's so efficient. But, like, Drew literally bumped him out, like, four feet. And, and like we said, that's going to fly all, all the time, you know, this this time of year. Um, so, it's try to catch it deeper. The other part is, I mean, it's hard to decide because if it doesn't work, it's a pretty, you know, fatal outcome but some guys will just if they get pushed that hard enough to get displaced they just fall down it kind of forced the referee to make a call right you know yeah because then you're on the ball or right. at least at least you've done enough that you know yeah i know what you're saying yeah so i mean i, I don't like 
like the game reaching the point where a player has to fall down on purpose to maybe get a call, but that's part of the gamesmanship of how the game is played right now. Yeah. And I don't see it changing anytime soon, but, but yeah, but he, he's a speed quickness, um, skilled player and guys like him, guys like that are going to have a harder time in the, in the postseason unless you're, you're really running and getting in transition and, playing fast and that's not quite what Nate wants them to do. You know, um, it's sort of like in the early Embiid Simmons years, Brett Brown would play Embiid for like four or four and a half minutes and then pull him off and let Ben Simmons really push the pace really fast for the next four minutes and then throw Embiid back. And it was like, it felt like this team was always getting whiplash, but there's a, if Nate is obviously going to be the head coach next year, and he has this thing where if they attack early, the shot clock fast, and there's nothing there, we're going to pull it out and make them defend for the full 24 seconds. You know, how does John fit into that mentality and into that offensive approach? And, um, you know, as trades become less turnover prone, a lot of that is him taking fewer risks in transition and, and not taking risks when he's playing super fast. And some of that detracts from where John's net talents kind of naturally are maximized. So it's I think it's a – interesting kind of puzzle, you know, exercise for them to kind of work on going forward. Probably not too hard to make it work in the regular season, but to your question just a few minutes ago in the postseason, how do you really maximize that? Yeah, and it's not all bad. I think it's kind of exacerbated by the fact that Trey and Bogdanovich were also injured. So, you know, one of your counters to to the switching defense is to just have a great one-on-one player. And so, you know, if you get somebody that's a little bit bigger on Trey, you know, that that's usually a good matchup and probably the same for Bogdan, but it's different when they don't have any push, when they don't have, you know, they don't have the uh, burst that they usually have. Then you've got to go more to the post-ups and that's when it started to look a little bit uglier. But, you know, he's a good enough shooter that they can still do things and it, it's it's not going to be a complete bog down. But yeah, another part it's of still that- tough to see though. Yeah, another part of that, Kevin, is that, um, just to pull my notes together, John averaged 1.13 points on post-possessions in the playoffs, which is a great number, especially yeah. in the post. Yep. But if DeAndre Hunter were healthy, I wonder, like, how many post-touches would he have gotten this whole playoffs? Would it have been, like, five? Because, you know, when opposing teams put their bigger wings on Trey – the, the counter has always been to play through Hunter, who yeah. typically has the smaller guard. You know, JC was able to draw some of that with Drew, but I mean, Drew, as we've talked about, is no, you know, day at the park down in the post, even if you're a power forward like oh, John, yeah. you know, but, but when you're thinking about how does, how do you make this all work next year, you know, to a degree, Hunter cannibalizes a lot of the things that John does well in the half court because he, it's easier to get Hunter to draw that matchup that you're wanting to attack. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see not only – I know we don't want to fast-forward too much to the, the offseason, but, you know, John's free agency status, what happens there. But trying to envision, assuming John is back, how does, how does he get maximized since Hunter typically gets to do a lot of things that John got to do in this postseason after Hunter went out? Yeah, I, I, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, you know, we, we, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
when when Hunter comes back, he, you're right. He's going to take away some of John's opportunities, but there are also going to be, you know, other players who aren't in the rotation as much. And I don't know. A lot. A, it, it there are more than two variables, I guess, is sure. what I would say. And and you you you, know, you kind of shift things and stagger things. And I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of other things. It's it's not a A versus B thing there. I think A and B can coexist if if you push some other things out of the picture, which I, I think you look at what the Hawks had left by the time they finished the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that they can push out. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a lot of it too comes down to who their backup point guard is. I have no idea who that person might be. I don't know what Lou's thought process is going to be about, you know, if he wants to come back and all that sort of stuff. We'll, we'll figure that out in due time. But I, I think you even mentioned that getting a really good backup pick and roll point guard and letting John really be featured kind of in those minutes with the backup point guard could be a great way to maximize what it was that he has. But it's, to me, that's a little bit more of a question for the regular season in terms of maximizing everyone. Because I think one thing we've learned in this postseason, if we didn't know before, is that you need every alternative you might be able to have in the postseason. You need Hunter and Collins and a healthy Trey and Bogey. I mean, you need – every option that you can get on the court. Um, and so that, that becomes less about is John getting his opportunities. It becomes more about, do we have something else to turn to when the opposing team has made it a, an adjustment, taken away our you know first two things we're trying to do. So I, no problem at all for me in the postseason, so long as guys are, you know, keeping track of any points they're scoring or touches they're getting, you know, which I don't think was happening at all. Um, but just it's, it's just inter- it's just an interesting I think intellectual exercise to think about what that might look like come to October. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to add before we finish? I don't think so. I mean, I I mean I think the Hawks gave us a whole lot more. I mean, the Hawks gave us a lot more fun than I was expecting to get. You know, I think going into you know four versus five wasn't sure. I saw that as kind of a 50-50 game, thought the Knicks would play better than they did. And then, to, I mean, to just reflect quickly, to beat the Sixers, the number one seed, game seven on their home floor is it's just, I mean, what a phenomenal run. What a ton of fun. Uh, what a great, you know, exhilarating ride. What, how much fun to watch Trey in his first postseason do things like his 48 points in game one. The, the, I remember the 35 points he had in game five. I mean, I mean just – that they could not have provided more entertaining value than, than I think they had. As disappointing as a lot of us might be that they're not continuing forward, which is just what a phenomenal run and what a, what a great um, journey to kind of go along with them for this. So that, that's just – I like to kind of try to put a bow on things. That, that That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. I mean, it was – it was quite a ride, uh, you know, I feel like I, now I get to be Debbie Downer, but, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich said, it, you know, it gets harder now. We we got to, you know, it was kind of easy the first time because you, you don't really know what to expect and you're not worried about it. And team, I think teams kind of underestimated them a little bit. So they got to kind of steal these game sure. ones, which was the key to their success was that they just sure. kept stealing game one and they're, they're not going to sneak up on anybody next season. No. Uh, and so now they have yeah. to try to fight to be one of the top four seats in the East. Uh, and, it, it, and that's hard. You look at what's there and, you know, you, you look at Boston and, you know, Tor- uh, not Toronto, but, you know, there, there are enough good teams, Miami, uh, you know, there are some teams that could be better next season 
to yeah. go with Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and yeah. uh, Milwaukee. So it's it's you know he's got a point, but we never also really really never got to see the Hawks at full strength. It's like we got to see all these glimpses: the glimpse of Cam Reddish tonight, you know, glimpses of Trey when he was fully healthy, Bogdan, you know, getting thirteen three pointers in in a pair of games on one leg. Like there's so much that they can do. It's like you still kind of wonder at the possibilities, even as you realize that uh, things get harder. Yeah. It, it, building up from here is harder. There's no doubt about that. I, I'm in total agreement. Um, decisions get harder. I mean, I think the fans have a, um, a bias to wanting to see them kind of keep this team together. Um, for the most part, it seems like half of Hawks Twitter is ready to send the pillow packing for some reason, <laughs> but I'll just call that reactive kind of, uh, you know, normal kind of reactive, uh, you know, dynamic and things like that. But, you know, it, it is harder to build up. The decisions get harder. Everybody in next season be one season further in their rookie scale deal or at restricted free agency or one year closer restricted free agency. You know, Trey and Herder, you know, entering, you know, potential extent. You know, Travis Schlenk has done well, no doubt about that. But his job gets harder from here. And I, I think that that's going to, you know, the Hawks are going to be a target next year. They're not going to be sneaking up on anybody at all. You know, I think the Hawks do things like, I think they play on Christmas Day next year, you know. Oh, um, come on. I have to work on. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I get to I hate to be the Christmas. bearer of bad news. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> but that's just a, a that's just me kind of painting, trying to paint the picture that they're gonna get they're gonna sneak up on no one next year. Everyone's gonna be trying to take Trey down next year um, because of you know how much he's the status he's attained. Everybody at that level, you know, is a target is targeted, and um, you know it, it's it's gonna be harder. Um, but I uh, first of all, we all deserve a break. Um, so let's let's enjoy a break. But come October, it's going to be really interesting to see what the team looks like and see what the expectations around the team are. But we've got a few months to kind of work on that. Well, thank you for a productive season. Absolutely. I appreciate your help as always. Yeah, always fun to talk back through these things. So what a, what a great set of conversations here and. Um, you know, we'll get some rest and then start to see what kind of changes are coming when the uh, season gets here. So it'll happen quickly, quickly. Great. Well, have a good night. You too. Thanks, Kevin.